Well, welcome, church. It's good to be with you uh, today. Uh, the Lobdell family has survived. Um, we, Seth was gone for three days. We're only going to eat Taco John's for two of those meals, right? Uh, so we're good, right? Uh, but uh, it's, it's good to be with you um, as we come back to uh, our Direction Sermon Series. This is week two. If you didn't listen, I didn't have a chance to catch the first week. Um, it's online on our website. Go and take a, a listen to that. But what we talked about last week, um, I think, is incredibly important. This idea and this truth that the decisions that we make today right? The things that we make today, the decisions we make today, both big and little, they're going to affect our tomorrows, right? They're going to affect where we, where we are and who we become and what we do. The decisions we make today are going to shape the way that we live tomorrow. And that's a, that's a big word, right? And that's kind of a scary uh, thing. And then we talked about, uh, to top off that scariness, um, that we are not very good decision makers, Right? We don't always make the good decisions. And so thanks be to God, we've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit um, to lead us and to walk with us and to, to invite us down paths and make decisions that are good um, in our lives because without a doubt, we need it. And we were called to remember that God cares first about who we are rather than what we're going to do. So our who comes first. Who is God calling us to be? Who is God shaping us to be? That's the most important. The who comes before the do. If we are who God calls us to be, then our do will be a lot easier, right? Are you lost yet? Right? If, if we are who God calls us to be, then we can more easily step into what God calls us to do. The who comes before uh, the do. We read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, um, verse 3 where God lays out his will for our lives. And just to give you a hint, it does not say that God's will for your life is that you're to be a dentist, right? Or a stay-at-home mom or a business owner or whatever. It says God's will for your life is that you are to be holy, right? This is God's will for your life. It's, it's about the who. God doesn't lay out all these specific plans of, of you doing this in Scripture. The most important is that you are holy, that it's the who, that you are set apart for God. And next comes the, the do. We are to be holy, the who before the do. And so last week, um, we ended with the pause button. Remember I told you the story um, when I was a kid, I got a Nintendo, and we started to use the pause button strategically, right? That we could figure out like where we're going to go and what we're going to do and, and where we were headed. And so last week we hit the pause button on life and we asked the questions, multiple questions, what I'm doing now, the decisions that I'm making or I'm about to make, where are they going to lead me, right? Who am I going to become if I, if I head down this path? Who, is gonna, who am I going to become if I, if I step into that decision or if I do this thing or if I participate in this way? How is this going to be playing out? Am I going to be taking steps towards God's holiness? Am I going to be taking steps towards God to, be, to become holy and to do what God invites me to do or not so much? I'm going to pause and ask, who will I become based on what I'm choosing to do and deciding to do now. 
In fact, it's pretty awesome. Some of you uh, came up to me after service and you felt very clear that the Holy Spirit was telling you not to do this or to do this. In fact, uh, one person came up and said that they were texting during church. No, you don't text during church. I get text messages during church, right? You don't text during church. She was texting during church to set up the plans that she knew that God was calling her to do. And that is awesome, right? That's what happens when we, when we stop to pause for a moment and to, and to reflect on these questions. God, you give me your wisdom and, and what this is going to play out and how this is going to work. And, I'll, and it's okay if you text in service to, for that, right? Uh, if God's calling you to do something, thanks be to God for the clarity that comes in the, in the pause. And for others of us, maybe this week has been a, a tough week because there's some things that have been on our mind. The Holy Spirit continues to bring up from uh, last Sunday, continues to, to call to our attention. And so uh, we are people to, to listen uh, and, to, and to ask God for guidance, right? We want to know where God invites us uh, to go. We want to know how God wants to, to, to shape us. And, and, and we are here asking God for this, this, this wisdom. Some of us realized that there were just some decisions that we were going to make um, that we're heading away from the, the place where we believe that God desires for us to be. And so you stop to pause and you headed the other way. You headed towards Christ rather than towards brokenness and sin. And thanks be to God for his preventative grace. Remember, we talked about that preventative grace in my life that steered me clear from a path that, without a doubt, would lead to brokenness and would lead to um, a completely different life and called me away from that path. And I'd like to say this morning that every time God's, every time God's preventative grace in my life um, came about and I felt that God was calling me away from something, I'd like to say that I chose his path every time, right? Like, that'd be awesome to be able to say. Maybe you'd think I was really cocky, right? Maybe if I did. And so that maybe that's why, right? But there are times where I have not, without a doubt, I have not chosen God's direction for my life because I thought that I knew best, right? That over and over again, that big no. Like, how many of you made decisions you knew that you should have made um, but, and you were reminded of that over and over again, but you did it anyway, Right? That's what we, what we do, and I'd like to say here, um, sometimes people put pastors up on this big pedestal like we're perfect, and I'll speak for 72 because I know it's true. I'm her husband. That we're, per- we're not perfect, right? That is not, that's not a thing. And let me just throw this out there. We've been talking about this a lot. As your pastors, we will disappoint you. That we are not Jesus, right? We will disappoint you, and in fact, Every um, kind of hard negative thing that we'll talk about today, in some way or the other, I've experienced or done. I've, I've, lived, I've lived that. I've, I've made wrong decisions. I've gone the other way. I've made myself Lord and Jesus not. Right? That's what we do when we go down those paths, when we know that we shouldn't, we know that God's clearly calling us away. We say that we're Lord and we know best, and Jesus is not Lord, Right? And so I've been down those paths. And so now today, we want to ask the question, as we've gone down the paths and we recognize we're at this point where our who changes. 
over time, we look back and we say, you know, I don't, I don't like who I've become and I don't like how this has shaped me to be and my, my who has changed and it's not moving closer to God or, or there are times where the story of our lives change and we end up telling a story where we, we just don't want to tell. Right? We come to this place in space where we, we, we recognize this, that we're not in a good place. So today I want to ask this question and a couple of questions that I think are really important is what happens when we make the wrong choice? Like if we can agree that we're not always going to make the right choice, but what happens when we make the wrong one? What happens when we find ourselves deep in sin? What happens when we declare with our lives that we are Lord and Jesus is? is not you know first i i believe this morning as we talk start to talk about these intersections like i believe that some of us believe and i think i've believed this with my life as well some of us believe that the second that we step on that path that we knew that we shouldn't have done the second we step into sin the second we do something we knew that we shouldn't have done that like jesus disappears right it's like there's a, there's a, there, if you're going to go that way, then you just go that way, right? And then, and, and, and God is nowhere to be found. Like we've been abandoned in that. And we have that feeling. We maybe never say that vocally. We wouldn't say that out loud. But the way in which um, we maybe beat ourselves up over and over again, the way that we which, in which we pray or don't pray, we would declare with our lives that, that when we step on those, those places, on those paths, that it's as if God has abandoned us in those moments. Let me just tell you, God is not abandoning you in those moments moments. When I think about these intersections where we, where we come to, to, to realize that things aren't turning the, out the way that we want them to turn out, we come to realize our who is, has been misshapen and we are not in a place that we want to be. When we, when we realize our lives have been hijacked by situations or relationships or habits or mindsets or even addictions, when we come to this place, I often think of, of uh, the prodigal son. Uh, Luke chapter 15, you know the story of the prodigal son. He gets his inheritance early. He runs off to the far country and he lives it up. Right? He lives it up with his friends. Well, he thinks that they're friends. They just want his money. He spends all his money. He squanders his wealth. He lives it up. He, he then gets a job, the only job he can find as a, as, as, a, as a person of God, feeding pigs, which is a big no-no. And then he comes to the, the lowest point that he's been in the story, where he's not only feeding the pigs, he's eating the pigs' food. It's not a good situation. He's come to, to, come to this intersection where it, it, everything's completely different. The who um, was not what he wanted to be, right? And everything was not what it wanted to be. And he comes to this place, and one of my favorite verses and favorite uh, wake-up calls, Luke chapter 15, verse 17, it says, it starts off the verse, when he came to his senses. How many of you ever come to your senses in those moments? Right? You've been led to this place. And it says, when he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, where he, he got some clarity of life, where, where God has led him to this intersection, he came to the senses. We use this language a lot around here because I've seen it in believers' life and non-believers' life. But we say, I say it like this, is that God invites us, God leads us, God uh, invites us to intersections where we are confronted it's a confrontation. 
Like it's not all, so not, sometimes not all soft. It's a confrontation. We're confronted by God's love for us. So here we are in this place and we're confronted by God's love for us. We're confronted by who God is and, and that confrontation calls us to think about who we are in light of who God is. And this is a come to our senses kind of moment. This is that provenience grace, the grace that goes before and invites us to himself. Believer, non-believer, we come to our senses. And then we talk about in the the language of direction and of choice. That when we are confronted by this and when we have some clarity and when we come to our senses, we we have opportunities. We can continue down the path that, we, that we're on. And we can shrug it off and just say, oh, it was just a, I just thought about something and I, it didn't feel good for a second, but I'm just going to keep going. Or God clearly at times gives us the opportunity to turn from that sin, to turn from that path and to follow him. If you've been in the church for a long time, we call that repentance. And I don't know about you, but sometimes that word has some baggage, Right? Repentance has a baggage. Every time I think of that, I think of like Old Testament, long-bearded prophet character, right? Repent! Turn from your sin! Loud voice. Or uh, I've told you before, um, all we had was the bunny ears on the TV and uh, Christian uh, uh, Christian evangelists, they have the best bunny ear signals on the face of the planet. You could be in outer space, right? You could be the, on the, 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 the flatlands of Australia and still get Benny in on your TV station, right? It's just reality. And so we had bunny ears, and so everything else was around. I would sit as a kid and watch the TV preachers, and you got to have a crooked finger when you do this, right? But it's, it's the same. It's the repent, right? Turn or burn, or you're gonna, if you don't do that, you're going to die, right? It gets really aggressive and, and really loud. And, and some of us, we were, we were saved by that, right? Thanks be to God that the Holy Spirit still works in spite of us. Pray that every Sunday, by the way. But we have some baggage when it comes to repentance that, that this may be what, we, what comes to mind. We were on the winter retreat with our teenagers and we were walking in McCall at the, the ice festival. And we came around um, this corner and of course there's a guy with a sign, right? And I don't remember what the sign said, but right when he sees teenagers, I'm kind of leading the group here. Right when he sees the teenagers, like it, it was this opportunity. It was this crooked finger opportunity, right? Repent! You teenagers, don't be a wicked teenager. And there, I guess there had been a school shooting recently, right at that day. And so if you don't repent, I heard, him, I heard him as we walk away, if you don't repent, you're going to turn into one of those school shooters. Right? Turn. This is our image of, of maybe what repentance is. But let me tell you this as we start, as we're going to talk about uh, kind of an uncomfortable subject. This is not just a crazy preacher thing. In fact, this is not a crazy preacher thing. This is a, this is a Jesus thing, and this is very important in the life of the follower of Jesus, determining our direction. This is incredibly important when we think about what it means to follow Jesus in our everyday, ordinary lives. We look at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. We even look before that from John the Baptist, Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. He says, For repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. 
For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And even the first words of Jesus publicly preaching, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, he began to preach the same words that John the Baptist preached. He didn't come to clean up that whole crooked finger repentance thing. That wasn't a thing. It was to come and to say the same words, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repentance is important. And it continues in Mark chapter 1. So if we've gone down the wrong path, if we've found ourselves making the wrong choice, that we've fallen into sin, we've, we've gone a long way off. We've gone our own way because we liked it and we thought that it was good and we've come to this intersection where we've met with God and we've come to our senses. We've had a little bit of clarity in our life, just like the prodigal son. We've come to our senses where we realize what we're doing is not good. We recognize that these intersections are not comfortable, are they? Nobody goes home and says, oh, I want to be at one of those intersections today. No, they're just not comfortable. In fact, they're they're really hard and, and there are times where we feel really bad and there's some guilt and there's some shame involved, and there's some regret, and some grief, and some sorrow. It's just a really hard time. We see who we are in light of who God is, and and we've messed up. We call that in our house, soul itch, right? Where you just know that things aren't right. You know that something's just not right, but what does repentance look like? Like, is it, is it like, a, I'm a sorry, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again, and, and can we just move on now? I want to get out of this uncomfortable situation as fast as possible, I'll never do it again. Or is it a punishment moment, or, or what is it? What does repentance look like? And so today we're going to talk about repentance and what it might look like in our lives. So if your Bible's with you, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. This morning, a pinnacle verse on repentance as we come uh, to to this passage. Uh, This is Paul writing the church in Corinth. Um, He sent them a letter already, um, and it was very pointed, right? Like he wasn't messing around, um, but it produced something in them. It produced uh, life change. And then he goes on to say this, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, verse 10. Uh, and I'll be reading from the, the NLT this morning, New Living Translation, because of their, their choice in translation wording. But it says this. It says, for the, kind of sorrow, uh, for, uh, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. So right away, we've got two types of grief. When we come to these intersections, we're going to have some grief. When somebody's found out our sin and we've been confronted by it, we're going to have some grief. We're going to have some sorrow. They're not comfortable situations. We know we're going to have some grief, but now we've been, we've been given this contrast of two different kinds of grief. We've got godly grief, and we've got worldly grief. We've got godly grief that, 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 that is, is godly, and it leads to salvation and, and life. And not only life, it leads to life with no regrets. Right? Like, you ask anybody, you go on the street right now, go to Paul's. Or uh, Paul's. Ha, I miss donuts, by the way. <laughs> go, 
go to Albertsons and you say, what kind of life do you want to live? A life with regrets, a life without regrets. Every one of them will say a life with no regrets. That, that's like a Nike slogan. Like you put that on a t-shirt and put the swoosh on it, man. Like life without regrets. In fact, some people think it's so important that they get tattoos, right? They did not use spell check first. Rag, regrets, regrets, <laughs> right? Like, this is what we desire. We don't want to regret stuff. Regret is not good. So we got this godly repentance, uh, this godly sorrow that leads to repentance and the life without regret. And we have this worldly sorrow which lacks repentance and leads to death. Life without regrets, repentance, or, or, or death right? Away from sin is what godly sorrow leads us to. The other one, not so much. And so today, this is not a, we're not going to go do a step-by-step thing. We're going to go through a, this is maybe what it looks like, like whole of, of scripture. Like you're not going to put this on your phone and say, all right, well, I've done this. And so next I'm going to do this. And then I got to talk to God about this. And no, no, right? The Holy Spirit leads us through these these progressions, but we want to talk about what does sorrow and grief look like? What does worldly sorrow look like in our world and in our life? When we think about this, I want us to think about it in terms of like horizontal relation, right? Like it's, it's all about me and worldly sorrow is about me and about uh, others sometimes, but it's not about me and God. Right? There's no, there's no vertical yet. It's about horizontal and, and it's focused on ourselves and, and, and others at times. But think back to a time, uh, maybe when you're a kid or maybe when, maybe it was last week, like when you were caught in something, you were found out doing something and you were sorry, but you weren't sorry for what you did. You were sorry for getting caught. No, you guys don't do that, right? Like, you weren't sorry for what you did. You were sorry for getting caught. Like, that exposure, like that difficult situation, well, the, 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 the sorriness came that you didn't hide it better, that you didn't do it under the rug more. You weren't sorry for what you did. You were sorry for how you got caught. And, and it's, it's a disappointing feeling getting caught. And there's nothing spiritual about it, right? And in fact, there's, it's just not good. Like, I think of, of some situations and apologies, especially that have been coming out recently with allegations um, where athletes or politicians or, or people of power will, will make apology statements that sound uh, just absolutely ridiculous. Like, I'm sorry if that offended you. Right? That's not an apology. Right? It's not an apology at all. I'm sorry that, that, that you didn't like that. Right? Or I'm sorry that that was shocking. Or I'm sorry that whatever. It's about, it's about me being found out. It's not about you. Because if it was about you uh, and it was about God, it'd be a totally different thing. Especially if it was about others, the apology would actually be a real apology. At least get that part right. But it's not. Worldly sorrow, this sorrow, this kind of thing leads us to, to nowhere. This is a man, I've blown it. This is a, man, my friends just don't trust me anymore. Or my wife is just really angry. I wish she could get over it. Or my boss is just going to gonna fire me because he didn't trust me. Or, 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 man, I wish I'd have done that differently. 
AKA, so I wouldn't have gotten caught. It's, it's horizontal. It can be super emotional, but it's not spiritual. It has nothing to do with God. Talk about emotions are, are, are everyday part of life. Even think you think you're stoic. It's still everyday part uh, of life. And, and so we ask the question, can emotions be involved in, in worldly repentance and, or worldly sorrow and godly sorrow? Like, can they be involved in that? Absolutely, right? Emotions can be involved in that. You can have waterworks in both of them. Right, you can have you can have a snot and tears and all all of that stuff involved in, in both of them. But the difference is is that worldly grief is clearly and purely emotional and not spiritual. It's clearly emotional and not spiritual, and that's a problem because each one of us in this room, out of emotion, have made some decisions in life that we weren't going to do something. Or we were going to do something. And we were all about it. And we were fired up to do it or not do it. And then the emotions faded. And did it happen? No. No, it didn't. After the emotions fade, after the heat of the moment simmers down a little bit, things change completely because emotions fade. This is not a way to to change your life. This is not transformative. It's horizontal grief, and it has zero to do with God. And we just hate that we're in that place. We're in that intersection. We're in that time that we want to do anything and everything to to get out of it. It's survival. And so we rely on our emotions to fuel us. And our fuel runs out after three weeks or sometimes shorter. So these are our, our markers of worldly grief and worldly sorrow. I think the next one that, that, that we'll talk about is the idea that worldly grief is completely passive towards sin. Worldly grief is passive towards the sin. It's passive towards the sin that caused the grief. Like there's a there's a there's a hesitancy to separate ourselves from whatever it was. Right? There's a desire to hold on to whatever it was that we're in this place and we're not about very serious about ridding ourselves from sin. We're passive towards it. We think we can maybe manage it, and this leads to nowhere. A couple of years ago, I was uh, having lunch with uh, uh, with the person that was had a connection um, with the, with the church, and we were um, out to lunch, and we started talking, and and then all of a sudden, in the middle of the lunch, there was a huge disclosure. It was a huge disclosure of some participation in something that, like, is I just kind of sat there with my mouth open um, that that has killed thousands and thousands of people, has brought about incredible brokenness in our world that has destroyed entire towns. There's a participation in this, and as we began to talk, it was the most fascinating thing in the world. I'll never forget it. But this person, I confessed this, but then went on to to talk about it as if it weren't that big of a deal, and that they can manage, right? Like it's just not that's it's not that big of a deal. I'm not like everybody else, right? Like, I'm not like that person that, you know, that has deals with that. I'm not, I'm not going to get in that deep. I can manage it, and like, nobody will ever know. It'll, it'll be all right, right? It was this incredible straight face, everything. I'll be okay. I can, can manage it. 
I, I, can, I can make it make it happen. Let's just pause for a moment and say that the enemy is incredible at making you think that you're the exception. We, we, we think about that. It's incredible in thinking, making us think that we can do it differently than everybody else. That it won't happen like that for us. Uh, many of you know that uh, my ADHD brain is, is completely satisfied in some moments from YouTube. Right? Like, I love stupid videos on YouTube. Every, every day I eat lunch, I just watch stupid videos on YouTube, right? And so I was watching one the other day, and it was about uh, a guy that was training his, he's an animal trainer. He was, he was training his grizzly bear, right? And he does these for movies. It was like some movie that Will Ferrell, like, wrestled with a grizzly bear. I don't know. I haven't seen it. But he's training his grizzly bear, and, it's, and it shows them in this kind of thing. They're training for a movie, and the bear's got to get up. He's like eight foot tall, 800 pounds. He's just a giant grizzly bear. He's got to get up, but he wasn't supposed to get up at that time. And so the trainer just takes his little bamboo stick, and he just hits the grizzly bear on the head. Right? And the grizzly bear kind of falls back down and then looks over at him and proceeds to try to eat his neck. Right? Yeah, you say, you say, oh, we're going to talk about that, oh, right? He, he proceeds to try to eat the guy's neck, and the most fascinating part is they interview people around. Everybody's like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe this happened, right? Like, Johnny's a good grizzly, right? Like, like you know, Trainer Jim, he's had Johnny since he was a little cub. I just can't, everybody's shocked that the grizzly bear attacked the man. You guys were like that, too. Oh, no, oh, it's a grizzly bear, people. Like, this is an apex predator. Like, it could kill anything and everything out there. That's what that means. It's at the top of the food chain. Now, this, is a, this is a grizzly bear. This isn't like a teddy bear. And yet we say, oh, like, oh, I can't believe it. Bless his heart. Right? Like, no, this is the grizzly bear. Like, some guy thought it was a great idea to hang out with an 800-pound grizzly bear and whack him with a little stick. And they say, oh, he's had him since he was a cub, and he usually listens really loud. He never had him. The grizzly bear always had the guy, right? Like, this is what we do. We think that we can manage sin. We think that we can manage Something that's way beyond us. We think that we can manage this sin, that it'll never get out. It'll never bite our neck off while we're in the trading room, right? It's the same as this. We think that we can manage this 800-pound grizzly bear, and yet we think we can manage our sin, something that's, that, 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 is, that is bigger than we can imagine. Every time we think we can manage sin, it most definitely will lead to, to worldly uh, grief and it will lead to death. Worldly sorrow is passive when dealing with sin. We become willing to fool around with things that will eat us alive. And then we're shocked. Oh! <laughs> when it eats us alive. It's what we, what we do. Worldly sorrow leads to death, and we're surprised when it, when it mulls us down the road. I don't know about you, but I don't want to head down the road of worldly sorrow. And so let's talk about godly sorrow. 
What does godly sorrow look like in our life? What does godly grief look like in our life? The next stuff we're going to talk about is uh, from a Puritan, uh, Thomas Watson. Back in grad school, I stumbled upon uh, a Puritan's thoughts and had to do a long research uh, paper on uh, family dynamics and, uh, and, and a bunch of different stuff. Um, but Thomas Watson wrote this doctrine of repentance way back like in 16-something, and it's still reference today but it gives um, these indicators these markers of uh, this is what godly repentance might look like and so the first one is this that godly sorrow gives us eyes to see our sin that may sound like duh but this is the this is the clarity moment right this is the he came to his senses type moment godly sorrow gives us eyes to see our sin because the reality is is that we can't repent from we can't turn from something that we don't know so godly sorrow gives us eyes to see the the enormity and the 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 teeth of our sin gives us eyes to see that this is a this is a grizzly bear and we are face to face and we don't want to mess with that thing that this is just not right and because we've given eyes to see we move on to the second one we we truly see our, our sin and we truly see the effects of our sin we are then moved by sorrow in our lives the whole thing is godly sorrow there's a, there, there's a feeling, there's, a, there's an indication, there's a reality that we are, see our sin clearly and we are sorry for the consequence of that sin. I'm sorry that my brokenness spreads to the people around me. There's a horizontal indication there. I'm sorry that my brokenness and this path that I've taken has hurt me as an individual and it's hurt you as the people around me, but it doesn't in there. I'm sorry also that it's grieved the heart of God. I've gone from the, the horizontal now and now I'm headed to the, the vertical. I, it's grieved the heart of God. It's hurt the heart of God. It's not just horizontal emotion. But it's, it's vertical too. Knowing that we've sinned against God, we are given in godly sorrow the, 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 the indication and the ability to, to be sorrowful, not just for uh, the stuff around us, but for the relationship that we've had with God. And because of that connection vertically, because of knowing we've hurt the heart of God, it brings us to a place of confession. Uh, he talks about it as a, as a spring that freely flows. That makes me want to go fishing, Paul. Right? A spring that freely, that freely flows. It's not a, a hold back some of the details. In fact, I was watching a thing the other day that talked about uh, those who, who confess in, in large generalities are fools. And I've done this multiple times, so I guess I'm a fool. But we come to a place where we say, oh, God, sorry that I'm a sinner. Right? I'm a, just a big old sinner. Like we try to lump everything into that, but that lumping everything into that rarely brings about change or, or too, true turning and repentance because we just lumped it all in. We do this with Jack all the time because he's like a hitter and a pusher and a like kind of eat you, maybe eat your neck like a grizzly bear. But you say, say sorry to your sister. Sorry. 
right? What are you sorry for? Sorry. No, and what are you sorry for? And even as little as he is, he doesn't want to say what he's sorry for. He doesn't want to say, I'm sorry that I pushed my sister downstairs. He doesn't want to say that. He just wants to say, I'm sorry. And we do the same thing. And so we come to God with this confession, not in giant generalities, but please, I'm sorry for, I confess my sin that I did. I knew it was wrong, but I did it anyways. And so, Lord, please forgive me. Confession and the naming of what we've done, the the naming of what we've done to hurt ourselves and hurt others around us and hurt the heart of God, then leads us to a place where we can't stand that sin. Remember we talked about we try to manage it? When we come to that place where we've confessed it to God, we know we've grieved the heart of God, and now we've confessed it very clearly, it moves us to another place where we can't stand that that this sin has brought us to this place. And so it's a a hatred of sin that I don't want to have anything to do with it. I'm not going to manage it. I'm going to get away from it. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to be around it. But as Romans eight talks about, I'm going to put the sin to death. There's no grizzly bear living in my house. There's a giant dog, but he's not a grizzly bear, right? I, I'm going to hate the sin because it's hurt the heart of God. It's hurt me and it's hurt others. And God detests the sin. And from our hatred of sin, we move from sin towards this progression and this step by step that, that, that we turn from the stuff that just doesn't matter and we turn from the stuff that causes great brokenness to ourselves and to others and, and to the heart of God and we turn towards God that he might lead us down paths that lead to restoration. Again, this isn't a write it in your little notebook and, and bring it out. But you can do that. That's great. But this is a, the Holy Spirit guides us through this process step by step and determines our direction that we might be people that follow him. Well, as the band comes to, to, to lead us in one last song this morning, I've been praying this all week because remember, I can't take you to places that I have not been, Right? Praying for eyes to see my sin. Praying that God would give uh, me, a, me a soft heart and, and one that doesn't harden when he speaks to me. That I might come to a place where I am I truly moved by sorrow. That I'm led to confession. Watching the ways and the words in which I use. That I would absolutely despise what brought about the brokenness in my life. That I would turn from that because it leads nowhere. It leads to death. And I would turn towards God. So as we sing this morning, I want to imagine. Imagine your life marked by repentance. This is is the fruit of the follower of Jesus' life. 
like that our lives might be marked by repentance that 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 daily that 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 monthly that yearly that every time we come to those intersections we we go through this process of uh, of coming to a place where we realize that that when we walk down that path we've hurt others and we've hurt God and we're we're truly in this place of sorrow and then God moves us and we we, we learn to, to to stay away to get away from that, those things that that cause that and we and we turn towards God imagine what our lives might look like if we were we were people that got to that awkward moment where things got really real and rather than hardening our hearts and turning away we were people that embraced the moments of repentance incredible things happen in our lives when we are people that pause and are open to God. May we dwell on what life might look like. Lord, we uh, come to you as your people. Lord, without a doubt, there are some uh, here this morning that have just come to a, uh, this intersection, a difficult one. Lord, some of us maybe feel that we are absolutely unlovable. Lord, we call to mind. We remember the story of the prodigal. While he was still a far way off, heading back to the father's house, the father jumps off the porch and runs to embrace him in love and in generosity. Lord, may we be reminded that you are present with us right here and right now. Lord, we ask that we wouldn't harden our hearts to, towards you or to, towards difficult decisions, but we would be people that are open. We'd be people that are marked by your repentance. May you shape our imaginations to see what our lives might look like if we were open to your leading in these difficult intersections. Lord, if you call us to flee, we will flee. If you call us to ask for help, we will ask for help. If you call us to go, we will go. Whatever you call us to do, we will do. Lord, we are your people and you are our Lord. Guide us. Show us your direction. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Please stand for the benediction, uh, the blessing, the word of blessing as you go from this place today. Extend your hands to receive. God's people, beloved, as you enter into these difficult intersections, may you know that God is with you. May God lead you in godly sorrow that leads to repentance as you turn from your sin and turn towards him. May you live lives with no regret in God's direction. Go in action and go in peace. You are dismissed.